Hello, sisters and friends. I am Teresa Heathacker, sharing today on recovering from sexual abuse. I miss seeing your faces here today, but I'm imagining that you are here as a counselor specializing in trauma recovery. I use miniatures, little figurines in the therapy room. So today I have brought a bunch just to set around me, imagining the women who want to find healing. I have an older woman, a sad young lady, a woman hiding behind joy, a princess, one who looks bitter, and a few others. Did you know that at least one in four women have experienced sexual abuse? And it's likely that it's more like three when we can, more like three, one in three when we consider the untold tales. But that's not what was ever supposed to happen to us. We were knit together in our mother's womb, and somebody did some incredible knitting. The prototype of her humanity was to be just like our Maker, just like God, relational, made for community, made to be with others, and for others to be with us. And God stated that His design was good. And I believe that this is what our sexuality was meant to be, a sanctuary, bringing together our physical body, our emotional and personal soul, and our spirit, all in relationship. And it began in the womb years ago and built on itself at every developmental stage of our life. Our physical body and our biology are designed for reproduction, for desire, and sensual pleasure. And emotionally, we are created to engage in close, vulnerable, and safe relationships. Personally, we are meant to believe that we are worthy, be accepting of our bodies, and experience satisfaction in expressing our femininity. Spiritually, our sexuality is made to be a beautiful, pure place, a place fully known and seen by God, by me, and perhaps my spouse. And sex at its best is like a reenactment of a love relationship with God. It's whole, safe, vulnerable, committed. And relationally, sexuality is a shared connection of all that I am and all that my partner may be. The shared sexual experience is meant to embody trust, safety, respect, acceptance, mutuality, freedom of expression, affection, and even fun. Brain science will attest that lifespan bonding takes place when there's holding, gazing, touching, caressing, smiling, laughing, and crying together. And brain science will confirm that we are designed to seek social contact as well as physical and emotional closeness with special individuals. But what if abuse, sexual abuse, has contaminated that plan? What if someone snuck into our world and treated our sexual being as if it was theirs for the taking? And if that happened, then someone abused their power, whether that was the power of their position at home, their position at work, or in our social circle. Someone abused the power of their physical strength or their emotional leverage. 
In physical abuse, one's soul and the sacred connection designed to create intimacy and bonding at its peak is injured. It's compromised and left painfully in opposition to the design we just spoke of. Instead, physical arousal can become confusing. Emotionally, we may become closed and disconnected. Personally, we may doubt our self-worth. We may question our body image, become unsure of our sexual beliefs and how to even experience our sexuality. Spirituality, or spiritually, the, the shame may make us want to hide, just as Eve hid in the garden. We may suddenly feel dirty or naughty, and relationally, the way we express or secure love, value, closeness, can become distorted. Sexual abuse is mistreatment. It is a misuse that makes sexuality feel disconnecting, unsafe, harmful, or scary. And any time sexual words or behaviors are used for the benefit of one person over mutual choice and mutual benefit, it becomes abuse of God's design for sexuality and his design for us as sexual creatures. Often something in our gut tells us something is wrong. A lot of behaviors can fall into the categories of sexual abuse. And as in all trauma, the person experiencing the threat defines the impact on themselves. My intention is not to speak to the letter of the law as much as I hope my words will speak to the spirit of the law. The intention built into our bodies, our minds, our spirits, and our souls for an honoring, dignified, mutual, and life-giving sexuality. The following is not a complete list, but it's a long list, and just a list to clarify common abuses to one sexual being. I share this long list just to validate that if any of these things have happened to you, it's not been okay. Voyeurism, which is an unsuspecting person being watched as they undress or engage in sexual activity. Exhibitionism is having a person expose their genitals to an unsuspecting person. Fretcherism is a person touching or rubbing up against a non-consenting person. Being forced to watch pornography. A child being exposed to pornography. Being forced to be part of creating pornography. Having a spouse secretly engage pornography. Sexual betrayals such as affairs. Someone masturbating in front of an unwilling other. Any demand for unwanted or bizarre sex acts. Being treated as a sex object. Having your sleep interrupted for another's sexual desire. Experiencing extreme jealousy or unwanted pursuits, romantic pursuits. Molestation being sexual abuse or assault of a woman or child. Sexual harassment behaviors, they can be characterized by unwelcome and inappropriate sexual remarks. Sexual harassment may include physical advances in a workplace or other profession or social situations. 
There's requests for sexual favors, unwanted and uninvited comments, gestures, physical contact of a sexual nature, such as groping or fondling, obscene or sexually explicit media content being sent to you, requests for sex or nudity, sexual assault of one's body or body parts, sexual contact characterized by use of force, threats, intimidation, abuse of authority, power, or position, any sexual contact of breast, genital area, buttocks, thighs, whether clothed or unclothed, where you do not or cannot or could not consent. Sexual assault can include rape, emotional humiliation, beatings, detainment, forcible oral or anal sex, grabbing without permission, touching a person while incapacitated. Being touched by a person while incapacitated. Being coerced, threatened, or forced into any sexual activity. Sexual assault can include unwanted massages, forced kissing, touching with an object without consent, any unwanted sexual contact that is aggravated, abusive, wrongful, unwanted, and inappropriate. Perhaps you've heard the term quid pro quo. It means that a favor is expected in exchange for something. And in the sexual abuse context, this could mean, speaking from the position of an abuser, I have power. You want something, perhaps it's permission, promotion, peace, to not be found out, etc. So sleep with me or I'm going to be really mean to you the next day and there will be consequences. This is abuse. And this is also seen often in workplace harassment. Any attempts to commit the sexually assaultive acts as we shared above can be abuse. And lastly, in Oregon, those younger than 18 years of age are considered to lack the legal capacity to consent to sexual encounters. Now that last, that list is not an exhaustive list, so please don't minimize something that has sexually impacted you because I neglected to note it. And let's clear up a few other things while we're at it. A lack of verbal or physical resistance or submission because there is force or threat of force does not equal consent, nor does being placed in fear equate to consent. A current or previous dating relationship or manner of dress does not amount to consent. Sexual abuse is never the victim's fault. Sexual abuse can occur in a single episode or over time. Sexual abuse can involve repeated incidents with the same abuser or different abusers. And often the abuse will involve someone that we know. <sighs> That's a lot. But it gets more complex. Our brains are designed to become particularly aware of our need for connection. And especially in times when we feel threatened, 
at risk, in pain, or where there is uncertainty. And so this adds to the understanding of sexual abuse being so complex and so deeply hurtful. In our time of of wounding and being wounded, the person closest to us, our nearest hope of an ally, is the offender. And sometimes that offender was once seen as and believed to be our safe person. Or at least on some level, a a safe person or someone that we trusted. Making things even more confusing is that some some abusers will offer a form of comfort after the abusive act. And this all is profound betrayal. And this incongruence in and of itself is profoundly confusing and threatening, especially if the abuse happened as a child. Any type of sexual abuse distorts our intended sexual design and can negatively impact a healthy view of sexuality. At a minimum, sexual abuse violates the most powerful and intimate form of bonding that we can engage in. Our internal response might include shock, disbelief, and questions of how this could happen or why it happened. We may be overwhelmed with bewilderment, anger, rage, hurt, despair, and we may find ourselves suddenly confused about relationships or relating to certain others. Sexual abuse confuses associations within our own body's arousal system, awakening arousal at times, towards people, or in places that are the result of conditioning of the abuse. Yet we may feel guilt for the way our body has been trained trained to respond to sexual cues, and we can feel sexually misaligned, broken, and even feel dirty. This invisible burden can weigh us down with sorrow and cause us to feel intense shame as we accept the belief that we are inadequate, a failure as we are unable to live up to some standard of behavior, defend ourselves, or overcome the impact. Shame might feel like a sense of disgust or contempt making us want to hide. And the distortions planted by our sexual abuse continue to grow more distortions. Distortions about God, about our body, about parts of this story that we own and don't own, about our worth and our restoration and our redemption. And the solution may feel like just becoming invisible. Invisible from others and therefore hiding our feelings, our thoughts, our needs, our memories, so invisible, so hidden, that we may not even realize we are hiding. In silencing ourselves, we may invalidate our own feelings, especially if our feelings were invalidated or dismissed as a child. Maybe others or cultural messages minimize, invalidate, or devalue our pain. Like, it isn't that bad. That happened so long ago. That happens to everyone. Insensitive comments such as these may cause us to doubt our own truth and further stuff our fears and our wounds. Our emotions can become distorted as we learn to numb and find ways to not feel our pain. And when we deaden ourselves to the icky feelings, we are also deadening ourselves to the joyful feelings of life and believing 
we may never have a close connection. On the inside, we may be suppressing a hidden reality, and on the outside, we're just trying to get along in life. Maybe there's parts of ourselves we can't understand. Why do I get so angry? Why can I never come out from under this sorrow? And why do I have to keep everything in order? It's counterintuitive to survival, but attempts to avoid our pain actually bring about more pain in the form of harmful coping and distraction strategies, like turning to food, alcohol, sex, or shopping as surrogate companions and comforts. And we can experience illness as our body struggles to keep the trauma at bay. We may battle anxiety, depression, or more as a result of the suppressing of the painful parts of our story. In abuse, our personal power was exploited and overcome, possibly leaving leaving us feeling powerless, helpless, and not knowing what to do. We may feel powerless to our coping and distracting, powerless to nightmares, fears, powerless to ways we check for danger or jump when we're taken by surprise. We may feel powerless to speak up or to be friendly, to relax, or even to get a good night's sleep. We may even feel powerless over our ability to discern and choose a safe partner for our future. And just like we may hide our feelings and our needs, we may isolate ourselves and insulate our heart in a facade of safety, avoiding people, places, events, smells, sounds, anything that reminds us of our tragedy. We may disconnect from others, keeping both the unsafe and the safe behind a protective wall of invulnerability. We may deny the very thing we were created for. That's relationship, connection, and intimacy. Consider the price we may pay in terms of our own loneliness. Now, we have a brilliant brain, and these adaptations kept us safe. They were ways that we learned to survive. But how do we square with this incongruence of what we yearn for and what we have experienced from our abuse and in our surviving? We need a recovery plan and a recovery team of people to help us through. You've probably heard that time heals all wounds. Well, it's not true. Time alone does not heal. We must daily live into change. Our brains literally were shaped by our traumatic abuse, and our brains will continue to be shaped as we continue with ways of responding, acting, thinking, adapting, changing, healing, and growing. All this will reshape our brain into a new reality, a new experience of life. And I find that very promising and hopeful. Remember, we are the authors of our recovery timeline. We choose how far to take our healing journey. And safety is the most important place to start a healing journey. Because if our body doesn't feel safe, it cannot grow or heal because the focus is diverted to survival instead. Does your body feel safe right now? Get in the habit of checking in with it and give it a voice. You can check in with your body and become aware of the places that your energy is stored or your energy is lacking. Consider a scale 
of, say, a negative 5 to a positive 10. Negative 5 would be very depressed, lifeless. 10 is panic. Sometimes we can feel like an 8 on the inside and display a 0 on the outside. So start to notice your body often. If our nervous system is often in fight or flight, we say 5 and above, it looks like going into anger and anxiety and aggression, defensiveness, reactivity, irritability, impulsiveness, poor attention, poor sleep. Or if our nervous system is going into a freeze response or give up, more like zero and below, this might look like feelings of being stuck, dissociating, emotionally numbing, using distractions, self-soothing with habits or addictions, sadness, sleepiness, withdrawn, clingy, crying, reluctance to explore the world, and even people-pleasing or accommodating others, making sure others are happy. If we're doing those things, then survival is in the driver's seat. Remember, your body has to feel safe in order to heal and grow. So engage a healing process with regular and intentional self-care. And you can help create safety for your body through intentional times of solitude, meditation, prayer, journaling, collaging, deep slow breaths. I recommend five slow seconds in and five slow seconds out. You can do movements like exercise, dance, yoga, walking, walking your dog, getting outside in the sunshine, or music. Upbeat music if you're in freeze, or instrumental music if you're in fight or flight. Focus your attention on things that ground you to the present moment, what you see right now, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, the feels on your skin. Take baths or long showers, enjoy scented candles, lavender is my favorite, drink tea, enjoy good nutrition and rest. Make you the priority. If you are a person who likes to take care of others, then embrace this time as a time for you to take care of you. And part of maintaining your safety is giving yourself permission to have boundaries around your time, your energy, and your body. You get to choose how you make use of these. If sex is uncomfortable for you, it's okay to stop. And we also need a team for our recovery mission. Safe people, like God. We need to be safe unto ourselves. We need safe family members, friends, spiritual directors, a counselor, a therapeutic group, a pastor, a mentor, a pet. And for the trauma that has sat in, its, in our bodies, doctors and physical therapists, massage therapists, and acupuncturists can all be very helpful to have on our team. So while abuse can shatter our trust and closeness with God, I'm curious if there's an image of God that you still find trustworthy right now. Is there a symbol of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, or your Maker, that you can safely invite to come with you on your journey? Well, what makes a person safe? Here's a list of things to consider. Safe people will be ones who validate your experience, not minimize it. They will be empathetic 
towards your story and they will act on their empathy reaching out maybe touching your hand maybe reflecting your feelings expressing their sorrow they're patient as we heal and grow and safe people are respectful of others they don't demand their own way they actually encourage the others growth and freedom they take responsibility for their own actions they work to earn trust and they recognize their own faults they relate to others as equals instead of staying in a one-up position they speak the truth in love confronting as needed safe people are life-giving we feel their positive influence in our lives we feel it in our body put some thought to who can be these safe people in your life now we know how to have a safe body by naming feelings and needs we know how to grow a safe team around us now let's talk about creating our safe mind if we don't understand what has happened prevents us from moving into something better so we become close enough observers of ourself to notice our thoughts and our behaviors throughout the day just like we notice our body we're noticing the feelings that accompany those sensations in our body we recognize those feelings are important those feelings are telling us something those feelings are telling us that I have a need what is that need and how can I safely go about getting that need met we make claim to our truth we open up our story and we own it as our story as unfair as that is we acknowledge the hurt the wrong and we give ourselves permission to feel it perhaps finding those feels again in our body and we honor our pain the essence of our created being our created being is is designed to process pain that's why we have our tears and we are meant to be comforted as we allow safe others to see our pain that's why tears flow from our eyes where others can see them and feel them in honoring our pain we make the pain okay to exist we don't judge our feelings as wrong we put words to them we get above the emotions and we call it like we see it we name the impact on our soul I was terrified I've been feeling so sad unworthy unclean I am hurt beyond hurt and I feel so betrayed I am so angry deep down for what was stolen from me and I wish someone would have been there to protect me we validate these hurts and these losses and we allow safe others to validate them too grieving the hurts and losses is a process we embrace grief as it comes as reminders bring back sorrow as cues evoke anger and our minds loop in negotiations we feel it and we name it deeply and perhaps daily at first again we put words to it we honor our truth we breathe deeply through it 
and we invite safe others to hold us while we let down our guards and let go of our pain. In honoring our truth, we place the onus where the onus belongs. The shame and the guilt that we may feel, when did it start? And who is truly responsible for the wrong actions? We analyze the shame messages and reject the messages that we don't deserve. We hand misdirected shame back to the abuser. Another onus to consider is that between God and Satan. Who is responsible for this abuse? If God's character is justice, goodness, and love, if it destroys love, it cannot be of God. Abuse survivors often feel unsurmountable feelings of injustice. And while we can never make all wrongs come to justice, we can pray that our abusers will be filled with true guilt and true shame so that they repent and that God will bring, or if they don't, that God will bring divine judgment on them. If we are not able to pray for our abuser, we can ask others to pray while we try to find a way to pray. We rest in the prayers of others until we are finally able to pray ourselves and find healing. As we process our story, keeping our bodies safe, keeping safe people around us, we may find true guilt or true regrets of our own. And often these originated as adaptive surviving behaviors. It's like developing a limp after breaking our leg. A limp becomes the way we compensate for pain. But we may no longer need those behaviors because either we are now an adult and we can keep ourselves safe, or we have processed our pain with self-others and we no, le- no longer need our survival strategies. Well, these strategies kept us safe in the, in the abusive situation. But if employed for the rest of our life, those strategies become liabilities making life less fulfilling, less real, less mutual, and ultimately can contribute to re-traumatization. As we notice and become aware of ourselves, we're invited to challenge and limit those learned false beliefs that turned into survival strategies. Take, for example, a learned belief that we are not wanted. So we survive by withdrawing and not sharing ourselves, really so that no one has a chance to reject us. We catch ourselves having this thought or false belief, and we challenge it. And with the help of safe people, we will eventually replace it. We can even visualize putting that that negative self-belief in a container and locking it away. We remember and pursue our original redeemable design and we begin to claim our identity in God by praying for ourselves and we commit to not internally participate in the destruction of our own identity in God that means we don't agree with those negative beliefs and we give up participating in external ways and the destruction of our identity and integrity in God. This might mean ending a job, stopping another's abusive control of us, 
or ending an unhealthy relationship. We should do the things that are in harmony with the things for which we pray. And we continue to surround ourselves with safe people in our life to help rewire our brain with new experiences of being wanted, loved, accepted, listened to, validated, cared for, encouraged, and enjoyed. These are people who can speak the truth in kind ways. And we look ourselves for the evidence in our own life of our value and our worth, our contributions, and proof that we can live a life where we are abundantly and fully alive. We can create a narrative where our sexual trauma is no longer a main character. A false belief narrative like, I can't speak up, I'm not loved, people are not safe, is gradually replaced with new beliefs and new behaviors with a new narrative like, I'm not afraid to speak up anymore. I see now that safe others love me all along. Or I know how to discern who is safe and who is not. And I can keep myself safe with boundaries. We often cannot see what is in ourselves. Our learned false beliefs that contribute to our difficulties even. And often counselors can help us see how we can practice thinking and acting to help our healing and reclaim our identity. As we embrace this exploration and healing, a humility is born. Our coping and survival strategies and our humanity can rest securely in God's hands of grace. Only here are we safe to ask, as the psalmist did. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, our regrets and our remorse, they are safe in the hands of grace. One of the latter parts of healing is a choice to forgive. Maybe you've already forgiven or you're ready to forgive now. Maybe there's a bit more processing to do and forgiveness is in your future. And maybe you won't consider forgiveness. The choice and the timing belong to you. Forgiving can be a painful and costly journey as it's an extended wrestling with our injury. Forgiveness involves a process of grieving and giving up. Remember, we need others to hold us as we give up and let go of pain. We are giving up our need for perfect conduct, ideal justice, the right resolve, and our imagined vengeance. All we can ask now of another and even of ourselves is genuine repentance. That our abuser might know that he broke God's heart in the way he treated us. If you believe you are broken forever, that you'll never experience a safe, mutual, abundant life or sexual experience, know that that's not true. You can reclaim yourself 
and your sexuality because redemption lies in God's hands of grace and you are invited to lean into it. Imagine your identity and your worth as defined by God, not your story. Imagine your sexuality as good and edifying, not evil, a weapon, or something to be used against you. Imagine yourself with the courage to keep wrestling with your story, just as Jacob kept wrestling until he received blessing. Do you remember the story of Mary? She took a pound of costly perfume and she poured it over Jesus' feet and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And she was scolded by another at the extravagance of her emptying the entirety of these costly contents and of all things at Jesus' feet. Well, Jesus not only welcomed her costly gift, he basked in it. C.S. Lewis penned this reflection about Mary's fragrant gift. The allegorical sense of her great action dawned on me the other day. The precious alabaster box, which one must break over the holy feet, is one's heart. Easier said than done. And the contents become perfume only when it's broken. While they are safe inside, they are more like sewage. How do you imagine wanting to engage your world as your heart heals? What do you want your story to look like from here? Your dreams are possible in the strong and gentle hands of God's grace. Thank you everyone for listening. I know there is no way to cover all the importance of your story in these short minutes and I invite you to reach out to me through my website at www.hesackercounseling.com and I would also like to acknowledge and thank contributors to this talk. Melinda Arnold, counselor, Lisa Dion, counselor and author, Dr. Henry Cloud, psychologist and author, Dr. John Townsend, psychologist and author, Dr. Sue Johnson, psychologist and author, Stephen Tracy, professor, pastor and author, Celestia Tracy, counselor and author, Roberta Bondi, spiritual director, and David Augsburger, professor, pastor and author. <laughs>